Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. We're at Workplace Strategies 2023 in San Diego right now. We just finished our presentation on microaggressions, the unconscious bias that can land you in court. We thought we'd share some of those insights with you today on this podcast as well. I'm Erica Leonard. I'm the office managing shareholder of Ogletree's Austin office, and I'm joined today by Leah Dorsey, who's Ogletree's chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer, and Steve Luckner, who's a shareholder in our Morristown, New Jersey office. What are microaggressions? They're subtle acts of exclusion that draw attention to differences, they demean someone's identity, or they nullify someone's lived experience. It really is a manifestation of implicit bias. And microaggression is a little bit of a misnomer. It's not necessarily aggressive. In fact, microaggressions are usually a casual comment or sometimes dressed up as a compliment or phrased as a joke. They're also not micro. The overall effect is not small on the recipient of a microaggression. It really is something that Leah has articulated this before, that it's really death by a thousand cuts. Some examples of microaggressions are things like saying to someone, you're so articulate, which implies that you somehow thought that they might not be, or asking someone, where are you from? No, where are you really from? Another example is when we describe the same behavior in one person as being assertive or confident or enthusiastic, but in another group of people, we describe the same conduct as being aggressive and confrontational and emotional. Another example of microaggressions is assuming that a minority person that you encounter is a cleaning staff person or assuming that the only woman who's at a deposition is the court reporter or saying to someone, Your name is so hard to pronounce, can I call you something else instead? The impact of microaggressions on the workplace, we really see this in several different places. One is undermining the company's values and their commitment to diversity and inclusion. It also can result in reduced productivity, loss of diverse talent and difficulty with both retention and recruiting. It obviously has an impact on employees' mental and physical health and can result in negative publicity as well as legal action potentially against the company. Leah, what are some of the things that we can do as individuals that are best practices for our own behavior to ensure that we're avoiding engaging in microaggressions? Thank you, Erica. We must actively combat microaggressions and we need to understand how they show up and how to respond to them, whether they happen to us or to our colleagues. The first thing that I would advise our listeners to do is focus on the impact of your statement over your intent. And then accept that you won't always get it right and that you will make mistakes. And if you do make a mistake, apologize correct or change what you have said, learn from the mistake and move on. Use your mistakes to grow. We also have to be mindful of our own biases and our preferences. The first step to interrupting bias is to acknowledge that it exists and microaggressions are a form of bias. So we really need to be tapped into that. And if you're not 
affected by a barrier, you tend not to see it. We also have to recognize that some topics, phrases, comments can be triggering to someone, and we have to respect that. We have to listen to learn or unlearn, um, listen with an open mind, and in order to learn and grow, you must first listen to others with your ears and with your mind. We have to communicate transparently, so we need to use inclusive language. Language is powerful, and it's also fluent. The world is ever-changing, so should our language. And then the last thing is be an upstander. I, I know a lot of people are probably familiar with the term bystander, but we're really asking people to be an upstander, which is standing up and speaking up against microaggression, speaking up against discrimination and prejudice. Upstanders choose to act even when it's not convenient or easy. So if you see something, say something. Thanks, Leah. Steve, Leah mentioned that one thing we can do in our own lives to combat microaggressions is to ensure that if we've made a misstep, that we take ownership of that, we acknowledge the mistake um, and move forward. From a litigator's perspective, uh, is that the same strategy that you would want to see um, employers engage in? I think I would always recommend employers to own the conduct that has occurred. I believe that will play better in a civil litigation um, than it would if the employer did nothing at all. What's the legal landscape look like in terms of how courts are addressing microaggressions or are they addressing them separately from your traditional hostile work environment claims? Sure, they view them essentially as hostile work environment claims. The same standards apply such as severe or pervasive conduct, uh, that objectively and subjectively creates an intimidating, hostile, or offensive environment, that it is unwelcome, that it interferes with the terms and conditions of employment, and it generally occurs because of a protected characteristic. Um, it can be based upon any characteristic, whether it be race or sex or sexual orientation, disability or religion. It can be verbal, written, or physical. Uh, it can be actionable, whether or not the perpetrator is a supervisor, a coworker, or a third party. Um, and it can create liability for the employer, even if the employer didn't actually know of the conduct. And ultimately, no different than other hostile work environment claims, employers have a legal obligation to prevent and promptly remedy harassment. And what we generally recommend for employers is to regularly train management, uh, disseminate effective reporting procedures, create a culture of openness and responsiveness, conduct prompt and robust investigations of complaints, and delivering corrective actions when appropriate. So while the uh, aggressions may be micro in that sense, they are still either severe or pervasive, but in the sense of microaggressions, more often the pervasiveness element will apply rather than the severe element just by their very nature of being microaggressions. A number of examples of microaggressions that we've come across in, in preparing for our presentation here have really been things that are idioms with origins that are in stereotyping or discrimination, and there are things that you might not even recognize as having those roots in those phrases. Leah, what would you say to someone who 
finds that they have inadvertently been using one of these phrases, for instance, grandfathered in or grandfather clause, that's something that we as lawyers sometimes hear um, applied to a legal analysis, and that's actually a phrase with a, its, its roots in slavery and discrimination. So what would you say to someone who feels overwhelmed by this topic and that they really feel intimidated by the prospect of engaging in personal conversations at work for fear of saying something that's offensive? We are all on an educational journey here. I mentioned earlier that you have to accept that you won't always get it right, but if you find that someone has brought it to your attention that you have used a derogatory term or you probably have exhibited behavior that appears to be a microaggression, you do have the responsibility to take in the moment, ask questions to better understand the situation, and then correct the behavior, don't do it again, and move forward. So we don't want people to feel bad. What we do want them to do is to approach this with an open mind and to learn, because once you know better, you do better. Right. We certainly don't want there to be a chilling effect on people's personal interactions in the workplace. We really want to encourage people to use language that's inclusive, uh, micro-inclusions, you might say, that help people feel more comfortable and more included in the workplace. Steve, what have the courts been doing in handling these claims of microaggressions? Certainly a few courts have specifically addressed the issue of microaggressions and how they relate to claims of hostile work environment. The Northern District of Illinois, in a case uh, in September of 2021, granted summary judgment to the employer on a hostile work environment claim based upon allegations of microaggressions. And I think what the court stated is important to remember because the court said regardless of whether an aggression is micro or macro, the court considers the evidence of hostility in totality. If the combination of conduct sums up to be severe or pervasive, then it is enough. If it doesn't, then it is not. Whether the sum comes from a large number of small incidents or a small number of large incidents, the result is the same. Here, the cited incidents do not add up to a hostile work environment, no matter what label they are assigned. So I think that that really lays out fairly well how the court is going to analyze claims of microaggressions with regard to hostile work environment and essentially take the same analysis that it would for other claims of hostile work environment and apply those to claims of microaggressions. What I think is interesting is that while that may tend to lean in favor of employers defending against claims of hostile work environment based on microaggressions, because by their very nature, they would probably need to be extremely pervasive since they're not severe in being microaggressions. It can also lead to other claims. And the Southern District of New York recently held in a case while granting summary judgment on the hostile work environment and race discrimination claims uh, based upon alleged microaggressions, what he also did was deny summary judgment on the related retaliation claim where the company had received complaints of microaggressions and shortly thereafter took an adverse employment action against the employee. So I think the takeaway is that 
regardless of whether the microaggressions may create a hostile work environment under the law, they certainly do create the basis for a complaint which needs to be addressed so that those employers can understand that how they react to complaints of microaggressions will determine whether or not they may be subject to a claim for retaliation as opposed to ignoring those claims. Steve and Leah, I appreciate the discussion of this important topic with you all, and thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.